Welcome to the CEC Report. It's the 24th of March. I'm Robert Barwick and I'm joined today by CEC Leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome Craig. Yeah, thanks Robbie. In this week's CEC Report, when experts stop denying there is a property bubble, duck for cover. And pressure builds for banking separation. Craig, before we get into this week's program, I just wanted to reiterate something that we called for last week. Now, we're going to be discussing Glass-Steagall again today as the solution in the, in the final segment, um, which of course is the separation of banking so that you get the speculation in the banking system away from people's deposits and we mm. can protect the everyday banking system that we need and therefore the functioning of the economy. Regular viewers are very familiar with this. I want to appeal to all regular viewers, if you haven't already, um, sign the CEC's petition. You and Elisa last week discussed Labor frontbencher Matt Thistlethwaite's um, uh, qualified endorsement of Glass-Steagall on Sky News, right? He said if a Royal Commission recommends it, Labor will support it. He effectively said something like that. That is a sign that the, the relentless campaign that we've run for this solution is working, right? We're up against the vested interests of the banks here. So, but um, one of the things we need to do is get a lot more support for this change.org petition that we're running on change.org website. So all viewers, as soon as you finish, you could even, if you're watching this on YouTube, pause it. (laughs) If you're watching this on TV, as soon as you finish, go to change.org, which is a global petition site, and search for break up the big banks now, Pass Glass-Steagall, and that's our petition, sign it. Every time someone signs it, emails are sent to a sample list of members of parliament that we've nominated, who are generally the leaders of the parties, certain economics committees, etc. Hammer them with this. I think it's important here at this point to say to our viewers, look, there's a lot of noise out there calling for banking royal commission or a banking commission of inquiry. The reality is that most people, we actually understand what the nature of banks are. There's been plenty of inquiries in the past. An inquiry would just delay things. And that's the point. You know, you're looking at a Royal Commission six to eight years before anything is done. What we have here with the Glass-Steagall legislation is model legislation, you know, model in the United States actually, which has two bills between, in both the Senate and in the House of Representatives for a, a return to prudent banking bill. That's what it's actually called. Yeah. We call it Glass-Steagall, where literally... The banks are broken up. The big banks are broken up into legitimate commercial trading banks with a boring banking side of things, deposits, mortgages and so forth, are separated right out from the highly speculative gambling side, which is merchant banking, investment banking. But also it breaks up the banks from being investment houses, stockbroking houses, merchant banks, insurance companies. Insurance companies. It breaks it up. Now, this is a very clear idea. It's a very simple idea. It's a very straightforward idea. And, you know, the idea of having a continuous debate publicly on the need for a Royal Commission or or, or Banking Commission of Inquiry is exceptionally dangerous. The global financial crisis has never been solved since 2008, and here we are in 2017. And the fact is that if we don't put this sort of legislation into place quickly, then to try and do it when there's another collapse uh, roaring down upon us is going to be exceptionally difficult and very, you know, very, uh, yes. you know, very disruptive. So go and sign that petition right now. We're going to talk about that collapse that's roaring down upon us in Australian terms because it's becoming clearer and cl- there's a tsunami coming. 
you know, the, the, you know, when a tsunami Craig, the um, the first thing you notice is the tide goes out. It sucks out. Yeah. Well, that happened a long time ago, actually. Now we're seeing the white top <laughs> coming at us at a rate of knots, right? And this is in the form of the property bubble. So let's let's just go through that now, and we'll remind you at the end to sign the petition too. So when experts stop denying there's a property bubble, duck for cover. And the title there is referencing uh, Dr. John Hewson himself, um, who was once going to be our great saviour, economic saviour, never happened. Um, and it would never have happened if, if, if he was had got elected, Craig. But anyway, um, Houston is the latest example of, of an economics expert saying, hang on, all right, there's no point denying it any longer. There is a property bubble. And why I say denying it, there is a lot of there has long been a lot of denial, especially at, by people who are in the government and the um, Reserve Bank. I mean, I sat in Joe Hockey's office when he was treasurer and spoke to his chief economist, who flat out denied there was a bubble. Um, and the Reserve Bank, especially, no, 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 they're always saying no, no, there's no bubble, there's no bubble. So John Hewson came out on Late Line um, the other night. And he just, he was part of a panel and he just said, look, it is a bubble. Quote, I think it's a crisis. It is a bubble. I know people are hesitant in saying that it is a bubble. House prices have gone up 250% since the middle 1990s in real terms. Household debt is more than 200% of disposable income, um, 120% of GDP, and it stands as a monument really to neglect and drift by both levels of government. Now, that's what Houston he's, he's said. He's nailed it there, Rob, because look, what the governments are terrified of is the fact that as we go through these charts, people should realise that the banks are directly connected to the bubble. I mean, their assets, so-called, yep. are directly tied to the value of housing. So if there's a collapse in housing prices based upon the collapse of a bubble, that means the entire banking system is at risk, which is why we referenced the Glass-Steagall um, petition earlier on, unless this is dealt with straight away, you're talking about an internal implosion of the system. Well, this is really the main reason we're concerned about it, because an actual collapse of the bubble per se, all that means is house prices are going to come down and you might feel yourself that, oh, you've lost the value of your asset, but if you own it, you still keep it and it's going to be affordable again. Hallelujah! Yeah, well, so right? I the, the issue is the banking system of Australia will be destroyed by it and wipe out the rest of the economy with it. Interesting, Robbie, is Stephen Keane, you know, Professor Stephen Keane, who's now, I think, believe, I believe he's based in the UK, he came out and said, you know, you're not going to see such a collapse happen in the UK and the United States because that already happened back in the 2008 period. But you are going to see it in Australia, in Australia. and Canada and New Zealand and a whole range of other countries because of this housing bubble problem. Yep. And that's what I found absolutely fascinating, that now you're getting people actually, not, not just John Houston, but other people saying, look, guys, wake up. But again, politically, what government wants to actually be caught with the fact that it's allowed the, the, the property bubble to fall, making policies to bring the bubble under control, then puts the entire banking system at risk. So no government at this stage has got the political uh, will to try and tackle this. And there's been all sorts of proposals put on the table, but none of them are going to deal with the issue because they don't want to be caught, you know, being seen to blow this bubble apart. And that lack of... And, and so there's two issues here, Craig. They're, they're worried that something may... They do may uh, crash it. Mm. 
the reality is it's, it's going to crash, crash anyway. anyway. And right? I think, Rob, if you go back to 2009, we put out a DVD called the Home... The, the, um, Homeowners and Bank Protection Bill. Yeah, that's correct. And it put out as a DVD. Going through the need for us to protect homeowners, protect the housing you know, people that have already got mortgages and so forth by freezing them. And people can call in and get a copy of that DVD. I think we've still got some of those copies available. But we were talking about this. Yeah. That was nine, you know, eight years yeah. ago. Yeah. And this has not been dealt with since then. All right. So after the break, we're going to go through a series of charts that have been produced by Leith Van Onselen of Macro Business, which are the latest charts on that just prove beyond the shadow of a doubt that Australia has a property bubble just to illustrate what we're talking about and why this is such a threat to the banking system. Welcome back to the CEC Report, where we're discussing when experts stop denying there's a property bubble, duck for cover. And let me remind you, if you haven't already, go and sign the CEC's petition on change.org. And we'll remind you again at the end. Okay. So before the break, Craig, we we're quoting Dr. John Hewson as the latest expert saying this is a bubble and this is a crisis. So what we have here is Macro Business, which is a, a, um, a, a business reporting website uh, in Australia, their, their reporter Leif Van Onselen has, has um, put out the latest charts illustrating the property bubble in Australia. And again, to reiterate, the issue is not really the, st the state of housing in the country, this bubble, when it bursts, not if, when, the reason we're concerned about it is it will crash the banks. Mm. And that is going to affect everybody in a huge way. So let's just look, go through them, Craig, one at a time. The first one here, there's a, there's, a, there's a pattern that repeats through pretty much all these charts, which you will see. So the first one is total value of housing stock versus total employee income. Mm. So if you add up all the workers in Australia and what they earn per year, right, all that up, and then you add up the value of housing stock in Australia at current bubble levels, where is that at? Which is $6.11 trillion, Robbie. It's a huge amount. Six, an enormous amount, for, you know, when, whereas Australia's GDP is you know, like a bit, bit shy of um, $2 trillion. So look at the graph, and what you see there is from 1960 until roughly 1988, you got this ratio of around 300% or three times, where the value of housing was three times income. Right? So enough, if, if a person was earning $20,000 a year in 1960, the value of a house was $60,000. That's right. Now look in 1988, sharp jump upwards. That's actually not, that's less, a, that, that is less a leap upwards in the value of houses and more a drop in the value of income because that was the beginning of the recession we had to have. Right, huge interest rates, a lot of people lost their jobs, etc. So incomes went down as much as anything. But for the next um, close to a decade or around a decade, it, it went up to four times. Mm. But look what's happened since the year 2000. Now, the year 2000, Craig, was that was the time when the first thing Peter Costello did was he announced a 50% discount on capital gains tax. So there's already the capital gains tax, and he said if we're going to give you a discount on that. Of You only have to pay half of it. And that encouraged a lot of investors into housing, right? And look what happened to the price. The other thing they did was the, uh, well, negative gearing was already in place. And they announced the first homeowners grant, right, to encourage new people into housing. So two, lots of, two types of um, buyers were encouraged into the housing market. And look what happened to the price. It is now up to seven and a half times, 750% 
of um, national employee income. That is huge. That's the average for the whole country. In places like Australia, Craig, Perth property prices are falling, mm -hmm. right? Places like Tasmania and South Australia, they're going nowhere, marginally falling. In Brisbane, only a little bit um, rising. In Sydney and Melbourne, that's not, it's not seven and a half times, it's 10 and 12 times, right? This is, but look at, look at how there's an historical average and then, it, and then part, when that historical average ends around 88 and then especially 2000, it blows everything out. And so you're told it's supply and demand. You'll say, don't worry about it. The, Australia is different than every other bubble in the world because ours is driven by demand. Rubbish. Our population has not jumped up like that since 1988 and since the year 2000. Absolute rubbish. All right. Second one. Value of housing stock to gross domestic product. Same thing. Look at the pattern. Starts jumping after 88 and then 2000 soars. Absolutely soars. So what we have is this, is this um, dichotomy in the year 2000 where the historical average, although it fluctuated a little bit, is, is uh, uh, gotten like it's left behind. Mm. And we're in a whole new reality now since the year 2000. Um, the next one is per capita value of Australia's housing stock, which means you, you take the whole housing stock and divide it by literally every single man, woman and child in Australia. And again the historical average, and then bang, it goes up. And that also means that it's not driven by demand, right? Because if it's, if, it, if it's per capita, um, it should be going at the same growth as population, and it's not. It's going much faster than population. This, this one's quite dramatic in terms of cost. This is an important one, Craig, in terms of cost. House prices have decoupled from rents. Now look at that again, you got an average, before the 1990s, that is pretty consistent. Sometimes the house prices are the same as rents, always pretty parallel. Since that, completely separating. This is a classic case of a bubble, Robbie, because the investors in housing for rent are no longer interested in yep, the rentals. What right. they're interested in here time and time again is a capital value increase in the property. And large numbers of these properties are actually left vacant, just hoping that the value of them will increase. And you see this around, you know, around this area in Coburg, for example, where we were based, where houses that were sold for four hundred and seventy-six thousand in two thousand and seven are now close to nine hundred to a million dollars, right, for an old ramshackle home, and it's not got anything to do with the sort of increase in value of the property itself. The the home itself, it hasn't been modernised or anything. It's pure property speculation, and capital what, gain. And what happens to those investors, Craig, who have got no interest in a rental income? when those prices stop going up and actually start going down. They're the first to bail. They're not, they're not living in it, no. right? They're the first, that, they put them, there's lots of them, thousands of them, put them all in the market. That's where the property bubble goes. That's, that's the capital gains as averse to rentals. So, I mean, this is where, you know, people always think, oh, the bubble, bubbles will never, it'll keep going up. And, and this is what the, the government uh, our politicians are wanting people to think that this is an endless cycle that's going to keep going up. And the problem with bubbles is they always pop. They're all, the, the, remember, a bubble is just something on the outside, on the surface. There's nothing inside. And can I point out the gap there? Yeah, it's huge. That's called negative gearing. That is where negative gearing does come in. That's why it's, it's many, many billion dollar impost on the national budget because that's, it's supporting that for the people who do who aren't making up the difference in, in um, rental income. So to correct this, Robbie... No matter how you look at it, it's going to be a painful adjustment for a number of people. Yep. There's no way out of this. 
What you what we should do is what they didn't do in America. You ca you can't you can't soften this completely. But what you can do is make sure nobody loses their home they live in. That's right. Right. And readjust the cost of the mortgage. And take and so everything forth. else down accordingly. That's what you can do. All right. Just just quickly, Craig. The last two median house price to rent ratio. And what this shows you is you see Sydney and Melbourne there are 36 and 37 times, the, the house price is 36 and 37 times, the rental costs, and nationally it's 32 times. It's just, it's another way of illustrating the previous one, right? Mm -hmm. the, the total disconnect between the, what, what you can afford to pay to live in a house and the value on paper that these houses are being traded at. And then last one we used a few years ago with, when, to illustrate that article about the signs of economic Armageddon in Australia, which is housing debt to GDP. So let me explain it this way. You see there in 1990, in 1990, the Australian banks, to make the loans for housing that Australians needed so that we could all live in a house, were, were lending the equivalent of 20% of our national GDP. That's all it required. Mm -hmm. Today, we're told it's all demand driven, but to make the loans that we need to buy housing, the banks are lending almost a, the equivalent of 100% of our GDP and still not meeting the, the demand supposedly, right? This has nothing to do with demand. This is just the banks binging. They have put so much money into this bubble and these are values that can evaporate, vaporize and take your bank and your deposits and everything with it. All right, so that is the crisis that we have to deal with. We know how to deal with it. The first thing is don't be in denial about it. Let's take a break and discuss why Glass-Steagall is the solution to that. Welcome back to the CEC Report. Finally, pressure builds for banking separation. So Craig, before the break, we laid out the, with his latest charts about the Australian bubble, property bubble. It's a bubble, it's a bubble, it's a bubble. All bubbles pop, right? What goes up must come down. And the issue is not so much the housing, the issue is going to be the banks. Mm. And therefore, we need to solve that threat. And we know what to do. Well, Robbie, look, let's just take it a lot slightly broader to see what's happening in the Australian political scene. Because what you've seen in the last week or so is a big debate happening in, in the Australian Parliament about welfare cuts and so forth. And you've seen some very you know, passionate speeches by Jackie Lambie and so forth, where the problem is not the welfare. The problem is the fact that our economy is not growing at the rate it needs to grow to be able to support a general welfare system. Of real growth, by Of the real way. growth and provide for the incentives for people to find high-paying jobs. That's the first thing. So the whole debate is couched in this whole uh, economic rationalism debate where you've got to take from the poor in order to support the system. And what you've had for the last 40 years, Robbie, is a system of government that has been directed to small government, you know, user pay system. Uh, you know, the government has to bow down, in effect, to private capital. That is the private banking yeah. system, large corporations. And you see this with the gas, for example, right now. Why is it so absurd that Australia has a huge potential for supplying its own domestic gas at very, very cheap prices, yet we're now facing a massive gas shortage for the next year and the following years because of the, the actions of uh, various large corporations? That is because we've seen government uh, abrogate its responsibility to the general welfare of the people. Now, Governments are not elected by boardrooms of large multinational corporations or banks and so forth. They're elected by the people. So what you're starting to see across the Australian political landscape, as we've seen with Jeremy Corbyn in the UK, 
and Donald Trump in the United States is you're starting to say to the people, this system's not working. And last week we saw massive changes already with Malcolm Turnbull coming out with the Snowy Mountain Scheme. You've seen the South Australian uh, Premier come out saying, if we can't get our energy uh, system sorted out, we're going to nationalise the energy grid in in South Australia. I mean, this is the sort of pressure that's coming to bear on politicians because the system just is not working for the average person. And we're losing jobs, we're losing manufacturing, and we're seeing Australia basically be looted. Now, the political... Uh, necessity for Australia is to, to take this problem and really you know, look at it from the top down. First of all, you've got to deal with the banking system and the fact that we're in a global financial crisis, Mark II. It's coming. There's no doubt about it. When we've talked about derivatives, exposure and the debt globally for so long now, we know it's, just, it's going out of control. So what you've got to do is you've got to grab hold of the banks and you've got to bring them under the same sorts of controls as John Curtin and Ben Chifley did in World War II. Now, that's the role of government. At the present time, we don't have the political balls, excuse to use an expression crude, to do that. And but Craig, it's in, coming. in World War II, the banks were still profitable, but Curtin and Chifley said, this is the way you're going to function so that you, while you're making your profits, you benefit the economy. There's a, you have a job to do that the economy needs, which is provide financial services. You've got to do that. That's what we're talking and about. And I think, Robbie, you have to look at it right now. If, we were, if Australia, God forbid, were to be involved in a war, who would you rely on? The private bankers' boardrooms, the private boardrooms of BHP and the large multinational corporations, Rio Tinto and so forth? Or would you look to the government to solve the problem? Well, you would look to the government. Therefore, the government has an implicit role because it is elected by the people, for the people, for the purposes of providing the general welfare and the development of the, of the people, the economic development and so forth, to intervene politically to do what is necessary, and man, they're going to howl. I mean, the banks will howl, the large corporations will howl, because you're taking away the power that they've exerted over the last 40 years over the Australian economy, and you're saying, no, we're going to put that that power back into the hands of the government for the benefit of all the people. And, and let's be specific. What we're talking about is Glass-Steagall, yes. right, where we say there's going to be the banking system that we need is going to be separated from all this other stuff you're doing. Yes. Right. Instead of instead of us running around trying to police all your little gambling schemes, which is very time-consuming and impossible, we're going to put up a big wall and say, you do that, but if you make losses, you eat them. That's right. But everyone on this side, ordinary people are protected. In What I wanted to highlight, Craig, is just in the last couple of weeks in the United States, the f- chairman of the Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen, was asked about Glass-Steagall by a reporter. Mm-hmm. Um, that was on the 15th of March. Two days earlier... The vice chairman of the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, one of the most significant regulators over there, Thomas Hernig, he gave a speech proposing a Glass-Steagall system for America. Um, it, twice this year, the president's been, spokesman's been asked about Glass-Steagall and there's uh, a bill been put up for Glass-Steagall in the US Congress and um, the Senate uh, grilled Donald Trump's Treasury spokesman on what Trump's plans are for Glass-Steagall. So that's what the U.S. is debating intensely right now. We're getting left a bit behind, aren't we? Absolutely. Well, we've had a few movements from uh, Mark, this will wait and so forth. But the point is that this is why the petition is so crucially important. This is coming. It has to come in order to deal with a global financial crisis. So people should find out more about the policy of Glass-Steagall and actually what it represents by going to our website. Go to our website and you'll see our press release. But go to change.org and search Break Up the Big Banks Now, Pass Glass-Steagall, and call in for a free copy of the weekly magazine that elaborates this, the Australian Alert Service.
Thanks for tuning in and tune in next week for more of the Australian of the CEC report.